This episode of Toes on the Line is brought to you by Thorn. Thorn has the most extensive line of NSF certified for sport products. To receive 20% off any Thorn product, simply go to my website, coachgeograssi.com, and become a subscriber. Welcome to the Toes on the Line podcast. I'm your host, Gio Grassi, and today I'm going to go a little dolo, which is something I want to try to do here in season three. In today's episode, we're just going to cover, or I'm just going to cover, the hamstring vaccine, which is something I've been hearing a lot in conversation with a lot of coaches and people who work with GPS and athlete monitoring systems. So to me, I create, kind of created my own little definition. What is the hamstring vaccine? Simply put in my own words, it is knowing how and what to expose the hamstring musculature to in relationship to the identical exposure in a sport. And every sport is different in context. So, for example, a sport like soccer has continuous movement with jogging, walking, running, and high-speed sprinting. Basketball has a tremendous amount of change of direction, not enough linear speed. Football is a unique sport. It's a lot of quick, short bursts and explosiveness with breaks in between. So is it continuous or is it not? It's really not when you look at the amount of rest that they have in between plays, but it's very taxing. So the reason behind this episode is basically because we had no hamstring or calf injuries last season here at Monmouth University, which was outstanding. It is a great report to have. Now, most of the work has been done by the athletes, so I'm not going to sit here and claim hey, I'm the reason why, or the strength staff is not going to claim we were the reason why. But we can kind of sit back and look at what we've done and say, you know, we put our players in the best position to succeed on the field without getting injured. I'm going to admit, it's extremely hard to go a whole season without a damn injury. And we ran pretty fast. We had a lot of explosive plays on both offense and defense. And I'm going to sit here and continue to vouch for us being the fastest FCS team in the nation because I know there's some FBS teams out there that can run. So why are we seeing more lower extremity injuries now than ever before? Well, very simple. The game is being played at a much faster rate than ever before. Coaches are recruiting speed and teaching the talent of how to play the sport. And you see a lot of crossover with track kids starting to play other sports because they know they can succeed with the speed, which is true. Fast man wins. It is what it is. So to me, the answers lie in the data Most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time they do. And we could begin to identify factors such as risk factor or diminished return with data. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's not a matter of how strong an athlete is. Hey, you could squat 400 pounds. Incredible. How much force is being put into the ground? Maybe a lot. How long is it taking for the athlete to complete the rep? And how much rate of force is being put into the rep, which is going to win in sports, rate of force. So we look for that in the data. And what do I mean by diminished return in the data? Well, we look at things like our GPS data and we say to ourselves, well, how much is too much? How little is too little? And at what point do we begin to see no bang for the buck? Right? So back to the hamstrings, what causes these injuries? Well, previous injury, fatigue, Low eccentric strength is directly associated with elevated risk and not sprinting at speeds above 90% of relative maximal speed. And those are my top four personally. This this wasn't in any research. This is just my top four. 
and things we focused on and put a lot of attention on here this past season to make sure we put our guys in the best position to succeed, and we did. So most of the stuff I'm talking about in this episode today are in reference to this research article that I read in uh, last August called The Influence of Weekly Sprint Volume and Maximum Velocity Exposures on Eccentric Hamstring Strength in Professional Football Players, and football players meaning soccer. So they laid out some pretty cool, outstanding findings on this topic, and after reading this topic, I changed the way I view and monitor and assess and then apply what what I have from my data with my athletes. The hamstring injury is special because it is a stretch-induced injury, typically when the muscles lengthen passively or activated during that stretch, and when external forces placed on it are greater than the forces produced, typically in that late swing phase, or when the athlete begins to reach that foot out a little bit further than typical and not strike directly underneath the hip or somewhat slightly in front, we can see the hamstring injury occur or not even an injury, but some form of stress when some athletes say, oh, I felt something there. I know we all know what I'm talking about when I say that because we all have athletes that, man, I felt something. It ain't a pull, but I definitely felt something there, right? They stepped out a little too far. And in that case, the stress became too great than what the hamstring is accustomed to absorbing or accepting, right? So reduced strength of the hamstrings has been found to directly correlate with injury occurrence as the muscles are not strong enough to counteract contractile forces produced by the quad. So typically that means we just have an imbalance, right? The quad is pushing too much. The hamstring is not strong enough to pull. And mechanics are altered because the body, the brain knows, well, if this muscle is strong, we're going to be in this position to move at the fastest. And athletes are master compensators. They're going to do they're going to take the path of least resistance to accomplish a task as fast as humanly possible. Not knowing this, they put themselves at higher risks. So this is why I love using technology in this profession because it helps us identify these risk factors as well as begin to set parameters and begin to individualize things for people. And to be honest, I, I personally never understood people or coaches that say, I don't need technology to do my job. Well, here's the deal. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because it's going to identify what's going on with things we cannot identify with the naked eye. How much force is being produced into the ground? How much eccentric braking forces do we have? What is our rate of development? Right? What is our peak outputs? What do they look like? We don't know. What is our time to take off? What is our eccentric time? What is our concentric time? We don't know these things. That's why we have technology that show us these things to help us make a better decision in planning to put our players in the best position possible. I mean, basically put, this is the best way I could put it, and I explained this to a good friend of mine, Rodney Hill, last week, right? Us strength coaches, we're like wealth managers, man. You give us your money, we'll manage your wealth through the stock market, and we're going to use things to help us identify trends in the, in the, in the market to know where to put the money. Are you just going to hire someone to manage your money that doesn't use technology to identify <laughs> trends in the market? Heck no. That's why I like using my force plates. I love using my GPS monitors because that tells me everything I need to know within a window of what we do. A Nordboard is another great tool which I, I which I could use, which I used in the past. And Nordboard research has shown us that eccentric hamstring force less than 340 newtons increases the risk of hamstring injuries fourfold it says 4.5 fold but i'm going to say fourfold which is tremendous now is a 
a freshman going to be able to produce forces higher than 340? Probably not. Should they not sprint? No, they need to. But what do we do? We manage it. We manage the dosing of it. Because guess what? If if this person never played sport in a team setting, but they do it with their friends outside, and so, they're still going to run. They're still going to jump. They're going to do everything they need to do. But if we can manage that, let's manage it. And I'm talking more in a fatigued state here with the Norboard stuff, right? So if you come in after practice and you're hitting forces less than 340, well, the fatigue was high. The session might have been too much. One or two, you're not accustomed to the demands. And typically see after their freshman year, they adjust to the demands of the game and they begin to produce better outputs. Aside from that, keeping on with this Nordboard stuff, I think the Nordic exercise is probably one of the best tools to mitigate hamstring injury. And I don't think it's the number one tool. And I'll explain that in a bit here. Um, I've also read that in this article that Nordic eccentric peak torque occurs somewhere between 18 and 28 degrees of knee flexion. So I started thinking to myself, well, let's just do isometrics in that position. And we did. And max acceleration goes up. Our running speed goes up throughout the year. We didn't have a bye week till week 11. So it's critical. So hamstring vaccine, right? What are my top three hamstring vaccines in season? Because in season is when we need to mitigate that the most. Off season, we can get away with a little tweak here and there. But in season, we cannot because the player needs to play the game to help win. Number one. Sprint exposure above 90% of relative speed. Simply put, you don't use it, you lose it, or you expose yourself to it. Not sprinting above 90% of your relative speed puts you at greater risk for loss of max velocity over seven days, puts you at risk for the eccentric hamstring injury that we just spoke about, if not done within a seven-day window. Other research says 10 but I like to go with six because to me, six is a baseline for my week because we have one day off. Number two, the Nordic hamstring exercise. And that must be the eccentric only. And I believe it needs to be overloaded because we need to expose the hamstring eccentrically to more forces than it can absorb. We need to overload the muscle in training. And three, to me, it's just managing high speed running volume. So what do I mean by that? Well, when you look at your GPS data, you can set certain thresholds to what can be considered a high-speed sprint and then begin to address distances covered in uh, with that speed. And we do that, and everyone's different. Every position is different than what they're exposed to, what they can handle, what they can manage. And kudos to me, I got to say that, but kudos to the staff here at Monmouth for believing in me and, and Coach Reem allowing me to utilize this data and have the open conversations and being able to talk to the position coaches and, you know, tell them who they might need to back off a little bit during some indie periods. Hey, let's get them in the team period because we need them to get the team reps. But in the indie period, I don't think it's that important for this person today. Let's back off a little bit. Give them one or two reps, maybe four. Let's not give them 12 or 15. Let's manage the volume. Let's bring that down a little bit. And we've seen better recovery. We've seen better running speeds. We've seen an increase in running, maximal running speed as the season went along. And we didn't have a bye week until mid-November, which to me was outstanding. And no one really complained throughout the season about having a week off. So we did some great things there. So what are some modifiable factors here? Well, I only have three listed here. You might have more. To me, the first modifiable factor is fatigue and practice volume. If we have great relationship with coaches, if coaches trust our decision-making and the data and how we present it to them, they will listen. 
We need to create buy-in. I've been able to have great conversation with coaches on who needs more, who needs less. Hey, coach, these guys haven't hit max speed in seven days. I need to sprint them today. What period can I take them? And it's worked. And we've got that relationship now. And coaches have it embedded in their head. And and they always ask Coach Reem and I on a certain practice day of the week, hey, do you, do you need a guy today, period six? Like, yes, we do. Thanks for asking because, yes, we do. So the coaches get it. And that's awesome because it has become our culture. And we are the fastest FCS team in the nation. And I stand by that. Check the record. I think we have the most 50-plus yard touchdowns this season at FCS. Maybe FBS too. I don't know. But um, that so fatigue and practice volume is one. Uh, my second modifiable factor is strength and balance because as a strength coach, we can always determine who needs more of what. You get upper cross syndrome, you get lower cross syndrome. You should be able to tell who needs more pull or push. Same thing here. When we have the data, we can tell who needs more speed work, who needs more strength force output work, right? That's when you get your velocity testing there and you begin to profile guys that way. Um, and my third modifiable factor is the warm-up. So the warm-up is not only for generating body heat and getting the juices flowing and getting your body and joints lubricated to move around. No, yes. However, you need to start to prepare the body for the demands of the forces placed on the body for sprinting. That is the best tool you can use to allow the body to prepare itself for sprinting, the warm-up. What are some things you do? Is it just high knees? I hate to say butt kicks because I don't do them no more, but some people still do. Is it shuffling, karaoke? Is it 75% effort, 80% effort, three hard steps? Is it a power skip? Things like that. It, everyone has those exercises in their warm-up, but are there little things that you add in there to prep the body for the sprinting demands which lie ahead? So just some things to think about. So I challenge you, go back to your warm-ups. Look at them and say to yourself, am I preparing the body to sprint or am I just moving these guys around for 10 minutes so that I'm just moving these guys around for 10 minutes before we start to practice? Okay. I spoke with Scott Leach last summer. Great conversation about collision prep. I never heard of it. Hey, but that's something else. Collision conditioning, right? Condi I think that's what he called it. I might be botching it, but I heard that and I'm like, well, hey, that's very smart because you're preparing your football players to collide. The impact of collision. That, you know, that, how, do you, how do you train that? He knows it, right? So... This was my short episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you took something away from it. If there's something in conversation that you want to have in continuation, please feel free to reach out to me via email. If you got my number, text me. If you got me on social media, send me a message. That's the best way to reach out to me. Um, and hope you enjoyed. We'll see you guys soon. Thank you.